Hi everyone, welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. My name is Mason, and I'm excited for this week's episode where we cover Yakuza Kiwami. During the episode, we're going to spoil the events of the game beginning to end, and we're going to discuss topics that include, but are not limited to, sexual assault, murder, racism, and many others. So please use your best judgment before proceeding. Also worth noting, in this episode we speak briefly on the Japanese language as it relates to the topic of gender. We're not experts in this field, uh, we're all American cis men, so if the discussion leaves you confused or wanting to learn more, uh, do not ask us for clarification. Go find someone in your life uh, who can offer a more informed perspective on the matter. Without further ado, enjoy! Hello everyone, and uh, welcome back to Level Zero Literacy. Today we're going to be talking about Yakuza, and as always, I am joined by my co-hosts Sam and Mason. Hey. Hello. So, Yakuza is a game made by Sega, originally for the PlayStation 2, released in around 2005. It's got a pretty interesting story behind it. If you want to know more about it, I recommend watching Sivit's video on it, because uh, we're not going to get too much into that here, but suffice to say... This game went through a lot to get made. It is a open world-ish kind of continuation of a beat-em-up style of game with a bunch of mini games and side stories to a level of something like a Japanese Grand Theft Auto. That's the main uh, gist of the game. In the game you play as Kazuma Kiryu, an orphan who was raised by a Yakuza named Kazama. Well, he wasn't really raised by him. He was raised in an orphanage founded by Kazama. And Kazama was Kiryu and Kiryu's childhood friend's father figure. And so when the game starts, you live through an evening in Kiryu's life where you see him hanging out with his friends Nishiki, Yumi, and Reina in a bar that Reina owns. Uh, you go and fetch a ring for Yumi for her birthday, and everything's good. You're just running around. You might get assaulted by some people randomly. That just happens in Kamurocho, which is the place where, where the game takes place. After going through all of this, some After you experience this evening, a few days later, Kiryu and Nishiki are Yakuza under a man named Sohei Dojima. Dojima ends up kidnapping and presumably sexually assaulting Yumi for unknown reasons, effectively. And uh, Nishiki goes off and kills Dojima because uh, that's what you do. And Kiryu shows up to this scene, seeing Nishiki had killed Dojima, and takes the fall because Nishiki has a sister to take care of, effectively. Who has cancer, right? Uh, she needs a heart. She has some kind of super weird disease. Yeah. It's something, never like something it, chronic. It's never like ex exactly explains what, she, what she's ailed with. And I do, so point of order. Mm-hmm. I do want to say that that is not exactly the beginning of the game oh. because the beginning of the game is you see Kiryu standing over the dead body oh, right. of Dojima with the gun. Oh, yeah. And then flashback. for the next 45 minutes, <laughs> you chase this dumb fuck ring around <laughs> this whole city in and out of pawn shops. Like, let me we'll get back to the 
thing I care. I don't want it. The ring is sentimental and plays like an important story. It's like a story element in several places, but that just for that, like one little bit, the pacing kind of made me roll my eyes. So what you're saying is the tutorial is too long. The tutorial is a little kingdom hearts two ish. It's, yeah. really t- <laughs> it's not even really a tutorial. Cause your tutorial doesn't even come until you're in prison <laughs> like fighting. That's true. Well, I mean, you do get an introductory fight, and it yeah. shows you it shows you how to interact with shops and stuff. It's one of those like introductory tutorials where they're like, "And this is how powerful you'll be later." Oh uh, yeah. Anyways, now you suck. Yeah. yeah. It, they they which met, they to be fair, you. <laughs> after being in prison for ten years, which is how long Kiryu ends up in jail for for murdering, he gets out on good behavior. Um, it does make sense that his like skills would atrophy. So it's ju- it's a just it's like the most justified I've ever seen a power down. But at the same time, it is all, I don't I'm not a big fan of like oh you're so powerful during this tutorial. Like, yeah, I don't know. To, like, get back to that. Why why make him why like why make the character so strong? Like why like because. Kiryu's not even so one of the drama points here is Kiryu is about to be promoted to a family head in the Yakuza patriarch yeah a patriarch but like that means he's still lower on the ladder than a lot of other people effectively (laughs) so like why does he have to be incredibly super powerful other than making it seem like he's super cool like well, <laughs> he's power he's powerful in the sense that he is really good at punching and kicking right yeah, yeah he's yeah. not powerful in the sense that he like commands people to do his will and mm-hmm. things like that that comes later but like he could be hired muscle it seems like he runs collections it seems like he does like shakedowns he does like kind of not not low level i don't know what constitutes low level yakuza work i don't know anything about the culture but like (laughs) it seems like he's it seems like he's muscle yeah so it makes sense that he would be really good at fighting Mm -hmm. and he would be very kick-ass yeah to me but i do i do like that the stakes are immediate oh yeah and get you invested I was hooked right from the beginning with this and I thought at least like the just from like while they were setting up all the premises for the story to take place like I was super priced in super early. Mm-hmm. There wasn't like a thing they didn't like belabor, "Ooh, um how cool is your friend Nishki? Do you have to, you know, like they just did like such an expert job like with the opening couple of scenes like establishing like, you know, Kiryu cares about this person. Like, it would be terrible if something happened to him. Yumi is, like, the love of your life, right? Mm-hmm. I thought in in that, like, little microcosm, they mm-hmm. did, like, a great job getting me in into it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad I'm glad we got to play this game for this because I had the exact same uh, reaction the first time I played the game. So I'm like, wow, I'm very invested in this. Yeah. They do a good job, like, and... It works because you don't learn later on that Kiryu had like other ties in his life. You know, you kind of get a feel for all of Kiryu's important relationships in that first like 15, 20 minutes of the game. So there, you don't, later on, you don't feel betrayed. I don't want to say betrayed. But you, later on, you don't feel like you have to get reinvested into different things. Yeah. As instead, you're like introduced into these new relationships that wind up becoming important to Kiryu rather than them like being like, oh yeah, and then there's this character from his past and this character from his past and you have to like kind of like play catch up. It's like, no, everything's right there at the start. And then, so we're just going to explore these 
relationships for the rest of the game, essentially. Mm-hmm. That's true. I thought, so when I played the beginning and I got to the part where you walk in on Nishiki having killed Dojima, mm-hmm. and he's like, he was trying to sexually assault uh, Yumi. From that like moment, I was like, oh, there's going to be a twist ending where Nishiki is actually the one who was like in the wrong here, and Dojima was trying to save her or something. And it like, it felt very to me it felt like it was going in that direction in a lot of different ways Mm. especially with like over the course of the game nishiki trying to kill kiryu and get back at kiryu and all these things i was like oh i mean it must be that he's trying to tie up all the loose ends because that otherwise it wouldn't really make sense it makes me wonder if they were like story revisions or something like that i don't know i didn't really feel that way and that's not just I mean, this game does kind of have a twist ending. It's not really exactly played straight, but I think the twist ending mostly comes as a result of them slow rolling the reveal of what's actually going on. Yeah. More so than like they were aiming to have a twist as the ending. You know, I see it more as one of the, the, really I see this game's core identity as like, in two places. The first one is what does it mean to be a moral man in an amoral society? And then the second one being how how do we as people uh, react and move on when the ties that bind us to our lives disappear? Mm, you know, mm, yeah. Nishiki and Kiryu are foils in this aspect because Kiryu as we see Kiryu's ties, uh, the people in his life disappear, go away continually throughout the course of the game we see him strengthen his resolve and move on and he falters a little bit in the end but he's able to like find a reason to keep on going whereas nishki i think his loss is a little more immediate obviously his significant loss the death of his sister happens while kiryu is in prison and so we see sort of his steady downfall as a result of losing the person that he cared about most now the man who took the fall for him so he could take care of his sister. Like that whole thing might've been for like is now fraught because he wasn't able to save his sister. I see, or I I definitely saw Kiryu and Nishiki as parallels, right? And obviously the game really drives in this point as well with, with stuff, I guess we'll get into later. There's a lot of imagery at the beginning. We have these two people that are in like a similar position, they're best friends. And then like one loses everything. The other gains everything that the other wanted. And then over the course of the game, they become rivals. Like their friendship deteriorates completely. And then we have Nishiki kind of losing this person who depended on him failing as like a protector and as like a masculine figure. And then we have Kiryu gaining that person. And I think to me, the game is like supposed to be telling us ambitious people will kind of fail as protectors and moral people will succeed as protector. You know, well, it's, I, you know, I'm kind of rounding, I'm boiling yeah. it down really hard, but that's, that's a lot of what it felt like to me. I don't feel like Nishki is ambitious until it's forced upon him. I think at the beginning of the game, he and Kiryu discuss like their plans on moving up. He uh, seems yeah. to be he seems to look up to Kiryu mm-hmm. for the reason of he's going to be like a lieutenant, right? Sure. That feels but like ambition to me. I think it's more so like we have ambition from admiration. I th- I think in the beginning Nishki has a lot of respect 
for the people that are in the positions of power. Oh, right. And so he kind of, I think he wants, there's there's this air to me of like he wants to better himself because he's surrounded with people as he see, he sees as like strong in their stances, I guess is like the best way I can put it. Whereas when we see him actually getting those roles as a result of Kiryu going to jail, his ambitions kind of turn on him. His his ambitions kind of twist in a sense that he doesn't even really he doesn't he's not even really ambitious for the role that he's in yeah. once he has it because the men that he's been given are just so horrible to him and the only thing he desires which is to raise money to save his sister one ends up not mattering two ends up backfiring in a really like ironic sense uh, and three just like makes him do things that more he knows are morally dubious and i think there's like a part of it where part of the reason why nishki is hesitant to do the things that he's being told to do by the men he's been given is because he knows that those who were coming ahead of him, the people that he looked up to wouldn't have taken those actions. And as a result is having to like, is, is having his hand forced. I see that personally as a form of like struggling very hard to succeed in a role where you're meant to fail. And I also, I mean, like to call back to a scene that happens a pretty decent way into the game, the tattoo artist that does Nishiki's Yakuza tattoo Mm -hmm. likens him to the Japanese imagery of the, is a koi fish, right? The fable of the 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 koi. Carp. The literal thing Magikarp and Gyarados are yeah, based off so of. Yeah, so where you are a carp <laughs> at the bottom of... He's, he's a carp at the bottom of the waterfall, and then he has to work really hard to swim up to the top to become like this this a proud dragon. mythical dragon, right? Yeah. And that, that, to me, characterized him as someone who's willing to like do anything it takes to achieve his goal. And his goal is not... Right, you know, for the, for the lion's share of the game... His goal is not to climb the Yakuza because he's already at the top. His goal is to save his sister. In the flashbacks, yeah. But yeah. like for for the actual point of the game, his goal is to become the fourth chairman and recover the 10 billion yen. I think the most interesting thing about Nishiki to me, right, is he is like the perpetual little brother. Mm. Yeah. Right? And so he looks up to Kiryu and Kiryu goes away. What happens, to give everybody context, is that Nishiki effectively gets the position that Kiryu was going to get, but doesn't have the respect of pretty much anyone around him that Kiryu had, besides maybe Kazuma, because not even Kazuma's lieutenant really sees much going, like, he doesn't, Kashiwagi doesn't see Nishiki doing as well as Kiryu, and, you know, Nishiki does all this fighting. He achieves so much then nothing happens yeah it doesn't matter how like it doesn't matter what he does he has convictions and those convictions make his men not respect them he lets his men do what they need to do to get the money he needs to try to save his sister and then the person he pays runs away that that scene was almost my one moment where essentially Nishki's men end up raising money by shaking down businesses that are part of a territory that belongs to a different family within the Tojo clan, which is generally seen as like a you know big no-no. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to encroach on the other people that are um, within the clan. At first, Nishiki's like, this is a horrible idea. I don't want to do this. But eventually he's like, I kind of have to do whatever it takes to save my sister. 
and eventually they raise all the money through this amor essentially amoral means and he pays the doctor to go buy a heart from like an organ harvester a black market organ place so he believes and then it turns out that the doctor only needed the money because he needed to pay back the yakuza which just happened to be yakuza in nishiki's family so the money ends up coming right back to him almost immediately and then obviously the doctor skips town and that scene for me was just like so good because i felt like it epitomized what the game was trying to do what the game was trying to say in that when you take you know even when you work in an amoral institution continuing to commit amoral acts will only lead to further degradation of your amoral institution yeah and so you know it's i really personally liked watching Nishiki go through all these things not because I liked seeing him suffer but it makes a lot of sense how he ended up so antithetical to like Kiryu or um, Kazuma in the end because uh, as we find out Kazuma the guy who raised them was an assassin before but was still Yakuza but tried to turn around a little bit by founding an orphanage so you know i guess it's funny i guess i have a question for y'all that i it's weird to me we don't really ever see kiryu do anything too bad besides try to collect a loan right are we talking is this going to be about the scene with majima (laughs) no this is a different thing that kind of confuses me about the series in general is all these people like a lot of these people who you want to like right are people in a definitely criminal organization but you Mm -hmm. never actually get to see the crimes happening i guess (laughs) and you know, some things are hinted at, like the Shimano clan trying to get people to pay for protection money. Right, right. I absolutely love this game and this story, but it's called Yakuza, and all the characters are Yakuza, and it's so weird to me that 99% of the time, like, the big crime that you're trying to solve, the missing 10 billion yen, is an inter-Yakuza thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it kind of feels a little bit like a cop-out to me to not show the criminals doing anything really that criminal as a main point of the story. So I think I think with regards to that, this was the first game in this series. And while we know now in the year 2023 that the Yakuza game is known for great writing and storytelling, the team or person, I'm not sure, who wrote... The story had, you know, 15 years fewer experience in how to do this. So it could have just been a constraint of, of what they could do, you know, in, in, in a video game or with the team they had where it was like, okay, if we're going to sh- if we're going to depict them doing criminal things, it has to be at the very least the victims are like sleazy businessmen, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, because otherwise it would make it very, very hard to empathize with any of these people if you constantly had to behold them being complete antisocial monsters and to the contrary uh here you like 
during many side quests, will go seek out Yakuza members, people in the same job as him, in the same career path, like sh- doing things that he deems improper and criminal, and and go, you know, make them stop by whatever means necessary. Well, for one, I think the I feel like the name Yakuza for the series is a little bit of a misnomer. That's why it's called like a dragon in yeah. Japanese. <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit of a misnomer, mostly because Kiryu, you know, this whole game is about Kiryu is not a Yakuza. He's more, he doesn't desire, like, after he is in prison, he does not desire to be a Yakuza anymore. He is kind of forced to be in the orbit of them because that's where his ties are. And that's how he's going to figure out the things that he needs to know, like what happened to Yumi and like bringing a piece, so to speak, to the people that he cares about. What was, your, what was y'all's one moment? Do you want to get into that? I've got one. Mine came out of a sub-story that was between one of the main characters of the game, the florist, and an out-of-town kind of Yakuza boss. The florist is an informant who his main thing is that he really hates Yakuza. He doesn't work with them. He, he'll only work with Kiryu because Kiryu's not a Yakuza. He's banished from the Yakuza, right? He can't be an attentive father because he spends all his days doing like really high level informant work. And as a, as a result, he's been very neglectful to his son. Although he does still keep tabs and spy on his son. His son has fallen in love with the daughter of this other Yakuza boss from a town over. And the florist's son is very, he's like a punk, right? He is a, a a reprobate. He, it runs with some teenage gang of people who go out and do violence and do degenerate antisocial things. And he's like a, a nuisance. And the Yakuza boss's daughter is like on top of the world. She never has to worry about anything. And they've fallen in love sort of Romeo and Juliet style. And you, you do a couple of, there's like a main story quest and a couple of side quests where this couple comes up to see these people, both at the top and bottom of this social order, trying to get away from it and just live an honest life was really, I found really touching because like the world in Kamarucho sucks. Uh, Everyone, there's tons of crime. You walk around and you can't go 10 feet without seeing someone getting mugged or uh, assaulted and people are trying to kick your ass like every five feet there's scam artists scam scam artists comprise like probably four out of every 10 side quests right and to see like this story however you know briefly you interact with it of these folks who are the oppressor and the oppressed trying to step away from this and just sort of you know make their own path i thought was something that it, it was not something i expected out of this game given the story it was trying to tell and it was very it was like a breath of fresh air to see these kinds of traits being exhibited by someone who's not Kiryu. Because at, at a lot of points of the game, it seems like Kiryu is the only moral person in all of Kamarucho. That's actually not a side story. That's just chapter six. Well, there's two side there's stories. Two, that side, also, two side stories that relate to it. Yeah. But that's just part of the main story. Yeah. Okay. So mine's real. So, so my moment is actually something that's pretty simple because I was going to talk about the 
what Mason mentioned for his moment. But there was one other thing that I thought was really simple but very effective at the end of the game. So essentially everyone's died, which that might seem like an overstatement, but if you've played the game, you know. Kiryu gets the will from the third chairman of the Tojo clan that you learn he gave Kazuma the power to name the fourth chairman of the Tojo clan because the third chairman knew that he was going to get assassinated as a result of some really complicated nonsense that I'm not going to get into the whole nitty gritty of. Kiryu obviously doesn't want to be a Yakuza anymore and so retires on the same day he gets inaugurated as the fourth chairman and as the fifth chairman he picks this man named Tarada and Tarada essentially was keeping Kazuma safe because Kazuma was being hunted for essentially essentially assisting the third chairman doing this like very big scam that was defrauding this big politician guy and so Kazuma the only person Kazuma has been able to trust through all this is Tarada And so for me, there's something that sums up this game really nicely as as far as its core essence about Tarada becoming the fifth chairman as selected by Kiryu because Kiryu didn't feel like he needed to know that much about Tarada. It was just enough for him to know that Kazuma was willing to put his trust in him. You know, this game's a lot about being a moral person in an amoral institution and an amoral society and in the bonds that tie, you know the bonds that tie you you know the people that tie you to your life and you know keep you going and all that stuff and so there's just something really powerful for me about that moment of recognizing that Torado was chosen because it just makes perfect sense to me character wise that Kiryu is willing to put his trust and someone that's he's never met, never really had long any sort of long conversation with, simply because a man that he respected greatly was willing to put his trust in him, and that's good enough for him. It really shows that Kiryu, it really shows like Kiryu's ethics, his morals, his you know his faith in people. You know, Kiryu has a lot of faith in people, even when they don't necessarily deserve it he will like have faith in them up until the very end. So that moment for me just really summed up the essence of the game and like the core of Kiryu as a character. I thought it was nice. I will pick a very weird and not nice moment for my moment, actually. Because, so we already talked about it quite a bit, but I really like Nishiki's character arc in this game. Right. And the moment that was like, man, I really want to see what happens at the end of the story just to see where it goes when, you know, other than I have to because we're doing a podcast was when the scene you get to see when you when you find out that two of Nishki's goons accidentally killed a woman who we assumed was Yumi's sister. In that scene, because you find out you find out that who you think is Haruka's mom has a specific tattoo and a corpse with that tattoo shows up uh in a bay somewhere. And you find this out and you think Haruka's mom is dead. 
And at some point after you find this out, you get to see the scene of it happening. And up to, I think, specifically this point, you don't know how bad Nishiki has got it besides that he's kind of like a scheming guy now. You don't know how far off the rails he's gone. And when Nishiki finds out that these two guys under him randomly killed, like, ended up killing this woman they were trying to torture to try to get this information on where the money is, he just walks in and he's really mad. Like, he's like, this was Yumi's sister, and then shoots a guy, and then shoots another guy. And it's, oh... Uh, the juxtaposition of things in this game is so wild to me. Mm -hmm. Because I know y'all didn't play horny RPS. No. No. Uh, But there's a lot... I would say even in the main story, there is a lot of tonal whiplash. Yeah. But, like, to me, horny RPS is just a funny parody of gotcha games in the arcade Mm -hmm. back then. Uh, Because, like, I I played a lot of arcade back in like 2005 and like that is right when games with cards and like other manipulable things were getting very popular we didn't get anything like that here in the west but i'm familiar with the concept and you know to me that's just a silly like parody game of a very specific thing that actually happened um but like sometimes you forget how (laughs) i guess serious the story is But then you see something like that and you're like, oh, yeah. Another thing that was kind of like a moment for me, but just like interesting scenes was when you see Shimano getting his hair cut very early in the beginning of the game. And (laughs) he finds out that it was Kuryu getting away from what what was it? It was, yeah, it was Kuryu getting away from the funeral, right? But I don't know. I, I think the game. I guess my moment is how good the game sets up all the primary villains of the game to be mm. people that you don't like and the good characters to be characters that you do like, even though they're all Yakuza, I guess. I found, I don't know, I found Shimano to be a pretty enjoyable villain. Yeah. I guess I don't, I guess I don't like him, but I do, <laughs> I do respect him as, cause like, I feel like Shimano is meant to kind of be the old, like old school, old school. style Yakuza, right? Yeah. Where he's like very like just do what I have to do to get what the things that I want type yeah. deal. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't hate Shimano. He's just very violent. I yeah, love him. He's a great villain. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the way he's portrayed is like perfect. Yeah, I also like that he dies. I <laughs> I thought it was excellent to see him kind of rubbing off on Nishiki where he would like kind of meet with him in secret and be like you know uh Kazama's way is not gonna work you're kind of a little bitch boy Nishiki you know there's something you know I actually want to backtrack a little bit here because that scene where he's getting his hair cut I think is like framed perfect yes because you see because it it shows that he's not like a, a reprehensibly evil person to me because your expectation is that when the woman nicks his head, you think he's going to kill her, like genuinely. There's and, and then when his goons are like, <gasps> you're yeah. like, oh, this that's what this, this is means. something that's happened before. This uh-huh. is you know, he's gonna punish us. So, but he doesn't. Right. They they set they set 
up the scene for Shimano to do this horrible thing. But in the end, he still does this thing that abides by what I would consider, quote unquote, his code. Yeah, well, to kind of bounce off of that, the reason his head gets messed up is because he's mad about what happened and he yeah. moves his head. Yeah, it's his and, fault. Yeah, but it's like, his fault. But it, <laughs> but it, he easily could have justified yeah. it as it, yeah. it wasn't, right? <laughs> you know? Uh, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I man, all the characters in this game are really well written. I want to talk about Majima so bad. Okay, we can talk about Majima. You mean the best character? Majima is so interesting to me because I find Majima interesting because I always really like characters that are motivated by things that are not not very common general things that motivate characters like money or power or love or righting or wrong. Majima will devote himself solely to fighting Kiryu. Because he wants to fight the best fighter. Because Majima only pours all of himself into everything he does. And he really, really, really (laughs) wants to fight Kiryu. So he wants to do nothing but kick your ass. I I likened Majima to the Joker a lot. While, you know, three of us tend to talk as we're playing the game, just to kind of voice our thoughts and opinions. And I was like, yeah, Majima gives me really Joker vibes. And then Buck was like, well, guess who voiced him in the, uh, the, the dubbed version? version? Mark Hamill. <laughs> those of you, for those of you who don't know, Mark Hamill is like the Joker voice you will hear in most pieces of animated media. So There's like a really famous image of someone on Twitter, like mm-hmm. at Mark Hamill, I cannot believe you voiced this guy. And Mark Hamill actually replies to this rando, and he's like, "I have no idea who that is, and I have no recollection <laughs> of voicing this man. Leave me alone." Um, Which is so fucking funny. But it's yeah, but you're right. So Majima, Majima is fascinating just because he spends the entirety of the game just essentially training you to make sure that you are in your best physical condition Mm -hmm. uh, so that he can have an incredible fight with you once you are back at full strength. He's also your best friend. Yeah. Because (laughs) it's crazy because when you, before you get put in prison, there's a scene where Majima's like, I want to fight you, Kiryu. And Kiryu's like, I won't fight you because I don't have a reason to. And so after Kiryu gets out of jail, Majima's like, all right, I'm going to make up all these excuses of why you have to fight me so that you have a reason to fight me. And it's just the dumbest reasons ever. I think Now, hold on. Some of them are very good reasons to fight someone. There's, if someone abducts me in a taxi and drives me to an abandoned pier, I probably will would want to fight them. Well, I, I'm mostly talking about the time where he hired a bunch of actors to make an entire zombie, oh, fake that. zombie apocalypse <laughs> so that you would think you were in genuine danger and fight zombie Majima. Yeah, you would fight. I would, but it's still yeah. It's no, that's still a great reason to fight someone if you think they're going to turn it. you into a zombie. I, I, it's ridiculous, and I love, but that's why I love it. That's, I love Majima, but like it's even to the point that after you kill Shimano, who is Majima's patriarch, he's like, I don't know if that's between you and Shimano. I don't really care. Anyways, you want to fight? <laughs> <laughs> he he was genuinely the most delightful part of the game all of the times i had the most fun were 
Maj- were because were, you know Majima was involved in mm-hmm. some way. A lot of the time, it was because of Majima everywhere, because they really, really went out of the way to make that entire system not only very charming but like very fun. Uh-huh. Yeah, something something I'm sure none of us experienced, but Mason told me about at one point was that there is a Majima everywhere you can experience only if you go into first person mode and look up and you can see Majima on top of a roof and he will jump down on you. <laughs> I got it. I got it. You got, well, yeah, but you looked, you found out. Well, yeah, I knew, I knew about now, it. Is, yeah. is that the one where you get the trophy for uh, Majima attacking you from above? Yes. yes. Okay. Yeah. I got that. I don't remember being in first person mode when it happened, but I okay. did get that achievement. Yeah. <laughs> Insane. He like, I I don't know, like all the, all of the very cool ways um, that he can attack you made me want to fight him more, even though it was a huge resource drain. He, him like chirping at you made, made me like look around like, you know, like, oh God, where could he be? <laughs> and he's like, there's like a car rattling and you're like, oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but in that, this is with Majima also became one of the biggest surprises to me in Kiryu's character, which I alluded to a little bit earlier, where there's a scene towards the end of the game where you essentially get taken out to the pier a second time by Majima, and Majima's like, hey, I'm looking out for you. There's people after you. And then a bunch of Yakuza show up at the pier, and you and Majima fight them, all of them together, and, you know, win, obviously. And then a cutscene plays where Majima gets shot, by one of the Yakuza as he's going unconscious and falls back into the water. And Kiryu's just like, ah, he's probably dead. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. Which felt what like, the hell? which was, it felt like such a departure. I don't want to say betrayal. I think betrayal is a, a too strong a word. It felt like such a departure from Kiryu's character as we had seen it. And I'm not sure if it was because the ties that were actually there between Kiryu and Majima were weaker in writing than they intended it coming off. I think it comes off a lot stronger to the player than they might have intended on writing it. Yeah, I think that I think that scene is the absolutely like most it is such a victim to Majima everywhere not existing in the first game. That's fair. Because this is, yeah, this is like a shot for shot remake of the first game, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> if you only consider literally the cutscenes that Majima is in in the story, the beginning of the game, it, and then like the ball part, like the batting, the batting cages, ra- the batting cages. But even he, there, he, he, well, hold on. There's one more. And then I think this might explain it. There's the. The batting cages, the beginning of the game, and then when you go to get Shinji's Shinji's lover news that yeah, Shinji yeah. died, he drives a what do you call it? the The word is escaping me. He drives a, a van. He drives a, a backhoe, right? Yeah, it's he, like a ba- it's like a construction vehicle, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. He drives it into the building and collapses it while you're inside and, and like attacks you in the basement when you try and escape. I don't know, but like so, it's but still he, weird for Kiryu. Though, but right? even in those two scenes, right? Like even in between Shangri La, yeah. even between the Shangri La and the batting cage scene. In the batting cage scene, Majima literally takes a knife for Kiryu because he doesn't want Kiryu to die. 
by a goon, like a yeah. random goon's yeah, hand. Yeah. He wants, <laughs> if anyone's going to kill Kiryu, it has to be Majima. But like the fa- I don't know. I just feel like... I feel like without Majima everywhere, though, that moment is a lot less of an extension. Without Majima everywhere, you wouldn't see that moment as an extension of the character you see in Majima everywhere, right? Sure. It just seems like he's deranged. He's just really murderous. He really, he's got like a bloodlust for Kiryu. I just wish that they had redone that scene. Me too. I don't I don't necessarily know. It doesn't even necessarily have to be that Kiryu tries to save Majima. Mm-hmm. They just needed to give Kiryu a better motivation to like not. Leave immediately. Yeah, to not try. Yeah. It was just very strange to me. I, I mean, I agree. It it could have been as easy as when Majima's like falling back. He's like, go, I'll be fine or something, you know? Let's talk about the third act, just in, in a broad stroke. Towards the end of the game, you basically figure out that the 10 billion yen that everyone is looking for belongs to this politician named Jingu and was money laundered by the Tojo clan uh, to get back to Jingu, who has extreme political aspirations, to put it lightly. You also learn that Haruka, who is uh, is the daughter of Yumi, the girl that you loved before you went to prison, and Jingu. And so you hear all these people talk about how Haruka is like so important and is like worth more than 10 billion yen, essentially because they believe they can use Haruka to blackmail Jingu or promise to deliver Haruka to Jingu so that Jingu can't kill her because Jingu wants to kill Yumi and Haruka because he believes that they are stains on his political aspirations. What a sociopath way to view people. (laughs) And the the, the craziest thing to me about Jingu's character is that he doesn't even show up until chapter 11. Yeah. Really? This is like... Jingu was the part of, I mean, Jingu was a symptom of the part of the game I thought had like the weakest storytelling, which was act three, because when, you know, I believe Date-san tells you about Jingu and he's like, he's a politician. He was blackmailed. He's rich. He killed a guy. Uh, he, he brainwashed Yumi. He's really bad. And then you meet Jingu and Jingu's like, I will kill a child for power. It's like, okay, I mean, like, we could have had this guy earlier and you didn't have to do all this, like, weird heavy lifting right at the end to make me dislike him. Which, to be fair, the boss fight was enough to make me dislike him. <laughs> but, I mean, just as far as storytelling goes, like, he could have been incorporated earlier and then you don't have to do all this, all, like, well, all at once. In in the game's defense, Sudo is doing what Jingu wants him to do earlier in the game. You just don't know that's what's happening because, you know, pseudo saying that you're kidnapping Haruka and, you know, him distrusting Date for a while is because of Jingu's manipulation. Right. 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 But that isn't made immediately. You get, you you get (laughs) the hard part for me is like, I think is a pacing issue where they do leave you like breadcrumbs as to what's going on, I think Jingu's name is even name dropped in chapter, I want to say like seven, is it a five or seven, somewhere in that range, by the police, which I was hoping that there would be this bigger arc of the police being a corrupt institution 
as well but it turns out that it's just like the police were being manipulated kind of feel like a little feels a little bit like cop out but there's they leave all these breadcrumbs but they just they do this really big exposition info dump right at the end they do and i just feel like if they had spaced it out a little better if they had or even just if they had clued you in a little more as the game was going because this really really this is the thread that's pulling everything right is jingu is his machinations and only you know a piece of that is a result of the warring patriarchs kind of going behind the scenes i think the thing that that annoyed me the most about it is like i could forgive the story not revealing jingu until the very end if kiryu didn't have the most all-knowing fucking omnipotent uh informant (laughs) in all of the in all of Japan, <laughs> who knows everything about everyone and has a network of thousands of spy cameras. Yeah, 10,000 spy cameras. Uh, as his, like, one of his closest allies. It's like, could you not have told me or, like, warned me about all this, like, way earlier? It is a little surprising. And, like, the, I agree with being frustrated with the pacing because it's, like, as soon as you hit, like, chapter 10, there is no tangible reason to do anything side mission oh yeah no it's it's all gas like (laughs) everything is super urgent from that point on and there's even a lot of chapters where the things that happen have very little bearing on the core story like i love chapter six chapter six was my favorite chapter it was the one that mason was talking about with the the son of uh the florist and everything but that chapter in all reality has no bearing on the story it has a lot of bearing on the core themes but doesn't actually impact the actual plot and i think if they had you know i don't think it i th- i think that if this game came out today where it not and i'm not talking about a remake i'm talking about yakuza never existed and yakuza one dropped tomorrow i think we would see that the actual main story is more focused and clean and they would have allowed themselves to do like we would have, I think we could see a world where the main story was a little more clean and focused and those story beats that are core to the heart of the game would become these like longer side quests, not the side stories, but like optional things that you can do that really strengthen the emotional core. Wait till you play Yakuza 7. Yeah. I've heard. Yeah, I definitely would have liked better depth and less breadth to the side quests. Yeah. But I mean, even even considering that, I thought this was an absolute masterpiece as far as an open world game. Because my normal complaint with games like this is the worlds are empty, there's nothing to do, the characters are flat. But in this game, the world is tiny, there it's jam packed with stuff to do, and every character feels fleshed out to the point where we're like complaining about stuff that's just completely germane to the story right so in a way it's you know more of a silver lining but it's like almost a strength of the game too um that we get they could have made this game and given us absolutely nothing on the florist and date and yumi and all these characters where they could just be an archetype they could just be a trope and we could we would just accept it but they they even get colored in like a little bit. Oh yeah, I would say Date gets colored in a lot. You 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 really have 
to reckon with like the things that go on with his daughter and the fallout that he's had with his family as a result of so desperately trying to figure out what actually happens 10 years ago i think my only other issue with this game is that some of the some i alluded to earlier as well as the tonal whiplash i feel like there's a lot of moments that are supposed to be very serious and then they just drop haruka oh i know what a whorehouse is you don't <laughs> yeah. have to yeah. it's just like why are you doing it's this? just a little weird because like, and it's not it's not just weird because of the joke but it's like we had this very like important scene where like kiri's having to live with the weight of shinji one of his closest friends just dying and it's just like sitting in this dilapidated uh shanty town and is weighing on him and is like having to figure out what to do. And Haruka's is like, I know what's going on. Isn't it so funny that I'm nine and I have a very adult understanding of the world. It's like funny. It's supposed to be like funny and sad at the same time, but it's like played played as for a joke. Can I, can I talk about one other thing that absolutely skeeved me out about this game? I hated every second of it. Sure. It's a like horny rock, paper, scissors. The, the hostess club it's shine and shine that's it Re- it's rena with an i r-i-n-a yeah, yeah is the love interest in the game she is modeled off of a real life really famous hostess in oh. japan i believe who did the face modeling and everything that gave me such weird uncanny valley <laughs> i hate it i tried so hard to get into it and do it because the, you know, like romance options and games are interesting to uh, me. Now, Rena so is cool. the Rena is the lesbian one. Right? Yeah, or <laughs> bisexual, bisexual. I think bisexual. because she okay. she'll like go out on dates with and and you like you can make her love you and stuff. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. I actually I I didn't get far enough with her to know she actually liked dudes too. Yeah. Well, she says like she says things that it's very uh, <laughs> I don't want to say up to interpretation, but it's vague. Because she'll say things like, oh, you know, women can't get married in this country. I guess I'll have to settle for a guy. Which is like, was that, you know, like, what's that supposed to mean? And then she'll be like, oh, my ex was a woman and I really only like girls. And then you can be like, you want to go out on a date? And she'll be like, oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm, I'll be waiting for you at the video <laughs> store. And it's like, well, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to make of this. She like has like very realistic, not video game dialogue at all, like, yeah, conversations with you oh, yeah, yeah. and her facial expression is like super realistic but everything is like in engine it's it <laughs> creeped me out so bad dude it made me so uncomfortable uh and I, I tried i got her up to like c rank or something and i was like i can't do this anymore i don't know why that's never happened to me before i i think one thing i do want to address if we're talking about things that we're bothered by this game is not kind to trans people. Like, not in a, like, it portrays them actively badly way. Yeah. Because, like, there's, there's a, so, like, there is a side, the, the side story is, this side story I'm about to say is not the one that I'm talking about. So there is a side story where you randomly run into a woman and you have to say yes to, like, sleeping with her in a hotel. And it turns out that she's a trans woman. For some reason... <laughs> I don't know why you end up fight. I don't really remember why you end up fighting. And then her partnering crime shows up 
her her sibling. Yeah, who is her sibling? Who is most likely a trans man? Um, from what the dialogue seemed like, it said it seemed like they were a trans man. But that's not really the one that bothered me because, like, Kiryu was like, I don't really care what you got in your pants, but why are you trying to scam me? I think my my, <laughs> my issue with that scene was just that is the lack of clarity. Yeah. Where they don't, it, it's not really clear of whether these are, like, are they actually transgender? Are they just cross-dressing? It's, I think it's an issue of, like, I think they rewrote it as a result of it being antiquated from when it was originally done. And they didn't stick the landing on it. So I think it caused more issues. Yeah, I've, I, I've heard the Japanese language is not very well suited to talk about gender in this way. Do you know if that's true, Buck? Uh, it, it really depends. Not to, not to excuse this, obviously. It, it really depends on what specifically you're asking about. I see. Um, and since this isn't spoken, I can't say anything because i don't know what the japanese say. oh gotcha okay. um but the one that bothered me was the side story where you go to hang out with yuya and so like you go to hang out with him and he's like come see my girl and his girl is a stripper at a strip yeah, club i, I do remember, remember I, I do remember this like after doing that sub story where it's kind of vague and then you go to this and like you go and you're supposed to be seeing Yuya's girl and it's a dude and like you see a there is a trope in Japanese media where people who are cross-dressing are there to actively do something bad this is the it scene is, this is the scene where it turns out as an assassin right yeah he's an assassin yeah and it had bothered me that that is included because that particular trope really annoys me and bothers me. Mm. It is a trope that exists in Japanese media, and it seems inherently transphobic no matter how you spin it. Mm. Yeah. Is that yeah. like, because, it, it, yeah, Japanese language is vague in terms of gender, but in a lot of Japanese language, when you're referring to someone who is like cross-dressing or trans or whatever a lot of it is like very derogatory and in you you not dressing as your gender is viewed as you tricking everyone i see yeah what's well, interesting <laughs> that's i mean that's a sentiment we have here yeah. in america as well right it's interesting because there was a, there was a scene there was a side story where i felt like they kind of redeemed themselves yeah <laughs> I, I also think the game can be i don't have like a big list of examples to draw from it seems i got like a gut feeling that they don't have the best attitudes about black people either yeah because i i interacted with black people in the story both times uh-huh. or two times and in both instances they came off kind of like stupid and brutish yes and i was like ah, oh, this seems kind of stereotypy the one time there's like a boss a big a boss you have to fight uh and the his joke is that he speaks really bad japanese and so he'll say things like, oh, Kiryu, I'm going to beat you up. Are you talking about Gary? Yeah. Gary I, Buster Holmes? Yeah, yeah, Gary Buster Holmes, <laughs> which I think he may be modeled off of a real-life United States boxer, uh, Buster Douglas. Um, but he's like, Kiryu, I'm going to beat you up, explosive and kablamo. Yeah. And Kiryu's like, that's not... Uh, and then like the other time you interact with any black people in the story they are it's a side story involving a doctor and the doctor seems to uh let a black patient die and the black patient's 
brothers are there and they're like, we're going to kick your ass for letting our brother die. You racist pig. Yeah. And the doctor's like, oh, he was just passing a kidney stone and passed out from the pain. You, you dummies. He, and he also could have like just said that as he was going into the operating room. Yeah. It's not like he didn't have the time to just be like, yeah, he's just a passing a kidney stone. He's fine. It takes like two seconds. But then, but like in that story, the black people are like, you're a racist. We're going to fight you. It's like, well, you this is really stereo. This is like messed up and racist. Yeah, it, th- seeming to me that that part also uh, bothered me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if this is a shot for shot remake of the old one, there's twenty fewer years of understanding how to depict people in media. Not that that's like a huge excuse because two thousand five was like still fairly recently. Um, I don't know what sentiments are like in Japan, but they don't seem to be very friendly to minority races. People, because the Chinese characters are kind of depicted in pretty fucked up ways as well. During the one random time where you, for a huge portion of the game, go to a Chinese restaurant and kick the shit out of everyone, mm-hmm. they're all like uh, brutish, murderous people who are all like straight out of like a ch- uh, Chinese stereotype as well. Dude is like a the the boss of that area is like this. He's like in a, a white robe with like the hair up in the ponytail and he fights you with like a big uh, with and, like two swords and stuff. And not to defend it too hard, but I mean, all the Yakuza are also stereotypical Yakuza. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, sure, it, sure, you know, sure. sure. I, but, you know, it's it's different when the game is in Japan. Yeah. All the people are Japanese and have grown up in a majority Japanese country, right? It's like not, it's not the same all of these kind of insensitivities and pacing issues and things about the game, I still like overall really, really loved the game. Uh, yeah. Like a, t- a ton. The main story just hits yeah, it's so immaculate. hard. It's, it's immaculate. <laughs> I don't even, for me, it wasn't even the story. It was the characters. Yeah. Yeah. I think the characters are just all very well fleshed out and developed and like well written. I, so I, you you have the ability that even when the story kind of meanders in ways that don't always lined up, you can still feel invested because the way the characters interact with, with each other feels very genuine. I feel so bad for Reyna though. Yeah, Reyna got oh, man. shafted. Um, like, like it was so unceremonious. The, the the twist of her being Nishki's informant just like didn't hit for me because mm. it was just very obvious that she would yeah i don't know if they like expected you as the player to forget that she was interested in nishki at the beginning of the game but i didn't yeah (laughs) i remembered so it's like of course she's gonna be like in nishki's corner even if he treats her badly well i mean it's not just that he treated well i mean she did try to kill him i guess but (laughs) uh yeah he kills her so (laughs) also like (laughs) the circle this is like a problem I have with a lot of action games that I thought Yakuza handled super well is that the fighting sometimes can seem like bookends, like hard breakpoints to all of the parts that I actually care about. But there were so many fights in the game that felt like really apt culminations of what was going on in the story. Oh yeah. The Nishki fight at the end of the game Ooh. was like incredibly, incredibly well handled. There's several points where you get uh, ambushed by high-level Yakuza members while you're in the midst of this like dangerous 
atmosphere doing these like risky things it's like oh yeah like a fight would go so well here uh it would really like break the tension well um and i i loved that the when at the beginning of the game when yuya wants to fight you it's because it's like a crystallization of like these feelings he has of just trying to get by in this place that's like riddled with organized crime it, it, you know, it all feels so natural in the story based on the characters they've written. It doesn't feel like I'm watching a movie and then I have to take breaks to do a fighting game. It, it all feels so in place. It felt that way to me anyway. It's a lot better than Dragon Age. <laughs> yeah, you have you have <laughs> repented for your sin. But. <laughs> oh. Any uh, any closing thoughts, guys? I think uh, I got everything. I hate Jingu. I hate that fight. <laughs> I, that fight sucks. I, that fight fucking any- sucks. <laughs> Any of the fights with guns in this game immediately got knocked no, down. Hold on, I disagree with you there. The 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 guy that you fight when Shinji dies, Dante the, from Devil May Cry. Dante from Death. That fight kicked ass <laughs> because I was shot. I was. Please mashed this button fifty times to get up. I didn't get shot. I simply didn't get shot. Skill issue. I um, I used the rush style the entire time, and then like he would dodge and aim the gun and then i would dodge and punch and he would dodge and it felt like a crazy anime battle that was like the coolest fight speaking it was so fun speaking of dante from devil may cry apparently he's going to be a major character in the yakuza 2 i did not know that dante from the supernatural <laughs> game where you that takes place in like castles and shit that dante no i'm, I'm talking about the guy we're referring to oh okay. i'm talking about i was like what his names his name's like a rase or something i i forgot he had even actually been given a name i swear to god i got really excited yeah no i was like no. what are we gonna be doing i mean with he dante? wears a red coat and has two guns that's fair you know I, what he, he basically he's, and he the way did you look at the way he moved he's like walgreens like, dante <laughs> He's like he's he's off brand. Well, I think that's going to be it for us today. Uh, next time on the podcast, we will be playing Pentiment. Hopefully, that's true this time. Well, Sam, we've, you've we've, begun you've begun vibrating in your chair. Is everything? Are you feeling okay? Look, you'll you'll understand how I feel about Pentiment once you finish it. All right. I highly highly recommend to our listeners playing Pentiment before listening to the episode because there's going to be a lot of things we just simply do not have the opportunity to cover so our listeners always play the game before they listen to the podcast okay that's simply true <laughs> it's if like we, that image my child will play the game before they <laughs> listen to the podcast <laughs> uh, by next episode if we get to a thousand subscribers uh, we'll post a video of buck singing baka matai doing a really insensitive accent Okay, hold on. Well, <laughs> don't. You gotta make don't them pay them. first. Okay. <laughs> don't. You don't get canceled don't unless get, we give get metrics. Goods. Okay. Don't give up the goods. It's like posting feet on Twitter. You don't. You have to make them pay before you do something reprehensible. 